I think the biggest mistake you can make when you start being an actor is thinking that the first thing you should do is get an agent. Mm -hmm. I think it is not the first thing you should do. The first thing you need to do is get ready for an agent. And the way you get ready for an agent is get yourself in the union, build a body of work. You're listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm Trevor Elgott. And I'm AJ Meyer. And coming up in episode 213, we sit down with, drumroll please, actress Jenna Fisher. You may know her as Pam from The Office. Yes, that's right. We got Pam. She's awesome. The interview's awesome. In part one, she talks about, you know, her journey, as we always do in the first part, the three conditions that have contributed to her success, the two biggest mistakes she made when she first started out, and uh, why she feels the college years are an essential developmental time as an artist, in, in an artist's life, and of course, the importance of being a joiner. And you'll learn what she means by that later on in the interview. It's all coming up in episode 213, so stick around. Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, the number two, gogo.com slash start. Trevenator! I almost I almost don't even want to talk during this episode because the interviews are so good. Like it makes me feel like what are, what what are we gonna talk about that could be as good? Seriously, we have such a good string of interviews sort of behind us here, and we have such a good string interview of interviews coming up, man. It, it is a golden era in inside acting, if yes, I do say is. so myself. I mean, it is a wealth of knowledge bomb goodness coming your way, listeners. <laughs> um, we're excited to bring it to you. Yeah, yeah. And just, just to tease this a little further, <coughs> toot our own horn a little bit more, I was, um, you know, going through Jen, Jenna's interview and just sort of tightening things up and taking notes on it. And uh, it really hit me how freaking awesome this information is. I mean, obviously, Jenna's interviews is amazing. Definitely one of the best ones we've ever featured on the show. But just the whole, like, every all this information and knowledge that we've amassed from all these very generous guests over the years. Dude, I was texting you, AJ, and I was saying that if I had had this information when I moved out to LA 12 years ago, it would be have been a very different story for me. And I just feel so proud and honored to be able to provide that that to the community or at least play a small part in, in getting this information to people because I, I, th- I really think it's a game changer for me, for a lot of people man I, I think having this information is like I'm so glad that we can that we can create a possibility for for people where there may not have existed the same possibility before 
That's I, I know I'm to totally it. like, you know, tooting our own horn here, but uh, it, it, I really believe in, in what we're doing here. And I'm so grateful to people like Jenna and <clears throat> Steve and all the, you know, almost hundreds of guests we've had at, at this point for their generosity and their, their knowledge. Yeah, that's a, hey man, that's a beautiful way to put it. I love, I love the idea of using possibility. So real quick, what is going on in your world this week? Uh, uh, you know, it's been uh, a lot of more life stuff. Um, the only uh, real acting related thing I did this week was I did a reading with the uh, Jewish Women's Theater. Very cool, great example of of you know people having people in the industry having great memories. I did the, I did a reading with them at UCLA like four years ago, and a woman who saw me in that remembered me. Um, and, and asked me if I would do this, uh, one day reading, um, of this show that that's been all over. They took it to New York and, and everything. And, um, one of their conventions is they just, they, they just do a reading. So they have people like literally with notebooks in their hands and that's the, that's the quote unquote show. Um, <clears throat> so it was really great. And, and like I said, just an example of these relationships, um, that sometimes bear fruit years later, mm-hmm. they gave me in, they gave me a little, um, honorarium or whatever and, and it probably was going to cover you know gas and a little bit of the time you know really interesting piece of theater and i learned a lot and it was it was fun and, and like i said the lesson for me was just you know you never know where the where the next job is going to come from because people have really good memories in this industry <laughs> yeah yeah i came across a quote the other day and i made a little meme and threw it up my twitter account uh and i i you know was referring to it or thinking about it in the, in the um, context of of workouts and physical goals and things like that. But it applies to this too. And it's a quote from Robert Louis Stevenson. Uh, and he says, don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds you plant. Boom. It's not about what you get. It's about the dominoes you set up for yourself. And you do that by extending yourself and being in service to other people. Totally. I love that quote. What's, what's, uh, how's your week been? My friend? Well, two weeks actually, because we, we haven't even acknowledged the fact that we skipped a week. I know, sad face, man. I um, apologies to our listeners for uh, for skipping a week there, but we hope you can forgive us because we have so much good stuff coming. Uh, in terms of my weeks, um, let's see here. I am on track for my 300 workouts per year goal. Oh. I'm actually one or two ahead of schedule at this point, so that's pretty exciting. And I gotta say, man, I'm doing P90X2 again, and I have really committed to just eating whole foods like my challenge is to not eat out for 30 days and then also just to really focus on whole foods so stuff that is like as close to nature as it could possibly be and uh that combined with like all the core work in p90x2 and i just i'm feeling very happy in my body these days it just feels i feel strong and i feel resilient and it feels really good uh, and the big news I think is that, you know, I'm on this kick where I'm just kind of figuring out what's next and I'm following my joy. And that's really my life philosophy right now. It's just follow the joy, do the things that, that give me energy rather than the things that seem to take energy away. And, uh, I have decided to go all in for national novel writing month. Oh yeah. You're doing NaNoWriMo. Yeah. Known as known in the inner circles as NaNoWriMo. For people who aren't familiar, the month of November, every single year, there's this wonderful organization that used to be called the Office of Letters and Light, and now I forget what they're called, but they essentially host this worldwide sort of virtual and also in-person gathering you know, in various cities and whatnot uh, of people who are committing to writing a 50,000-word book 
during the month of November. That breaks down to 1,667 words per day. And, uh, and it's really cool. They've got a little word tracker on the website. You can buddy up with people. There are forums. You can, uh, you know, put information about your book and they just, they offer prompts and pep talks and, and tips on, you know, what to do after you hit your 50,000 words and 50,000 is just an arbitrary number. You know, that being what the average novel probably is in terms of length. But I've had a story that I've wanted to tell for quite a while. It's not a novel. It's more of a, of a memoir. Um, and it's uh, a tricky thing, and I'm still getting comfortable with, with the story and how I want to sort of position it. Uh, and I haven't talked about it much, but I suppose you, AJ, and, and listeners of this podcast will hear more about it in the near future as I work on this story and, and get it out to the world. My intention is to publish a, a 50,000 word or more, <laughs> or maybe less, book uh, that is about... <laughs> about this uh, several months long experience. Amazing. Nano I mean, we, it brings me back to, you know, you were, you were talking about in-person meetings and it brings me back to uh, a year ago, Jasmine and I walked into a coffee shop and that we frequented, frequented a lot. And it was one of those coffee shops in New York that didn't have Wi-Fi. Like it was just not a place where you would go and Love work it. necessarily. Love and it. there was a big table out the front and, and one night we were there and, and, uh, and they were having a, a NaNoWriMo like meeting, a meetup. Uh, yeah. They call them write-ins where people don't get together and write, <clears throat> yeah. write together. And we took some pictures and I think Jasmine posted them online and we were like high-fiving everybody, just cheering them on. It was <laughs> like, it was really funny. It was like one of those moments, like, why do we have this obsession with like, you know, celebrity and sports stars and stuff like that. When, you know, we're sitting here like high five, like, yeah, like go people writing a book in a month. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's really cool. It was like, they were, they were, I don't know, to them, it felt like they were rock stars to us, you know? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I do want to say that anybody listening to this, uh, you don't, I mean, you can still join first of all. I mean, you you can do this anytime, of course, but November is when they really throw their full, the, the world throws its full support you know, behind this effort, but, uh, it's still early enough that you could join in and not be, you know, too far behind, too crippled. And also, uh, there's a twist on it this year that I've seen in the past. Traditionally, this was done in April. Um, and the same people that put on NaNoWriMo also put on this thing in April, but they stopped it for some reason. So somebody else kind of took the reins and they changed it to what they're calling zero draft 30. So some people are taking national novel writing month and turn it into, uh, write a screenplay in a month. And I know our very own, uh, marketing and web director Gadali is doing that, and he and I are checking in with each other just to see how we're doing uh, every day with with progress on that. So you don't have to write a book; it could be a screenplay. It really could be anything. I just I love the idea of a forced march approach. Just vomit your first draft out, throw yeah. any editing you know sensibilities to the wind, and just like get the story on paper and worry about shaping it later. Yeah, and that that approach has <clears throat> when I really conceptualize and internalize that i was like oh my god that's that's how you do it you yeah. just like throw up on the paper first and then <laughs> later on you sort of organize things and move it but if you just go back and edit yourself every single day you'll never get anywhere you'll burn yourself out at least i will i know everybody's different but that's been true for me so this has been a, this is a really great uh we're only on the third day and i'm already like in love with it awesome 
Yeah. So, oh. uh, in the interest of time, yeah, let's move on. <laughs> let's move uh, on. This episode of Inside Acting uh, is also brought to you in part by Rehearsal Pro. Yes, Pro, as in professional. It's the next version of Rehearsal, which is the essential app for actors, and it's coming. And even though, as of this recording, the campaign to fund Rehearsal Pro has concluded, you can still be a part of it. You can still go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP and you can click on one of the $20 or above perks to reserve your copy of the app. As soon as the app is live, probably sometime around February, I think, uh, you guys who are backing it will be the first to know and to get your hands on it. That's Rehearsal Pro, the app for actors. Just go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP to reserve your copy today. Rehearsal.pro slash IAP. as an Inside Acting Podcast. <laughs> All right, so we have uh, a quick listener question that we wanted to respond to, and this came in from Katie quite, uh, quite a while ago, actually, a few weeks ago now, and we, we, farmed, we farmed it out a little bit to some people uh, in our community, namely our production coordinator, Jen Levin, and our ghost host, Ben Whitehair, and uh, asked them you know, what their thoughts were. And Mostly because they're much more involved in in, in the unions than than you you or I are. Yes, they they're familiar with the ins and outs of the unions. And and Katie's question is pretty specific as far as union stuff. Do you want to kind of recap her question here, AJ? Yeah, sure. Uh, so she she talks about the fact that she's SAG eligible from doing uh, background work. She just did a project, but she didn't sign any paperwork. And that's always like a weird area for actors that, you know, we kind of get a little worried about, okay, what does this mean as far as my union status? Um, on the last day of the project, one of the other actresses told her that she was only doing the project to get her Taft-Hartley, which sounds kind of weird because <clears throat> usually you have to get cast in a, in a much bigger production. So I'm, it's, it's weird that one actress didn't fill out any paperwork and another actress is saying like, oh yeah, I'm getting Taft Hartley from this. And, and um, let me stop you for a sec. I just want to explain for listeners who may not be familiar with the idea of a Taft Hartley. Can you kind of go into that for a second? Uh, I mean, yeah, basically it just means like if you're not union and you do a union job, the uh, there's a chance that the production could actually get fined by the um by the union because they hired an act a non-union actor over a union actor and if they if the production chooses to pay that fine um essentially said what they're saying is that they couldn't find anyone else who was as perfect for the role as you were and therefore you just end up getting your union status kind of overnight in this way it's uh it's interesting i don't know if the rules are still the same but it used to be i think that you didn't have even have to pay for your Ellid your card when this happened. Um, could be wrong. Once again, I'll probably get lectured by Jen after the <laughs> after the recording, but that's my understanding of it. So she asked the, the director and producer immediately because she was like, if this project turns out to be union, I have to join SAG because she thought she was um, during, uh, she thought she was in her um, OK30 status, which means that you can do another union project. Oh man, this is getting into a lot of stuff that we weren't planning on. <laughs> you can, it means you can do another union project within 30 days without having to sign up. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, she, she said that they told her they were still waiting to hear from SAG, which by the way, red flag, red flag. Um, and they've been very shady in the, in the weeks since. She still hasn't seen any paperwork and still hasn't signed anything. Said so she's not ready necessarily to join the union because um, she's in Chicago. 
she goes out for SAG and both SAG and non-union work pretty equally. Um, not ready to let go, doing student work for my real or web series work with my non-union friends. Having discussed joining SAG with my agent, I'm also upset that these filmmakers didn't tell me the project was going to be union. Do I have any options here? So, <clears throat> kind of shady, kind of shady business going yeah. on there, yeah. which uh, you know happens and it sucks. But you know we just get to like deal with it. First thing I would say is it sounds to me like they don't that this production doesn't know what they're doing and. Uh, they're either lying to the other actress, you or both, and that you probably therefore don't have to worry about it. That said, when we did farm it out to um, Jen and Ben, uh, they they both essentially said the same thing that we were already going to say, which is call the union. Like, just call them, tell them your situation, and, you know, there's people that are super helpful. You can even do so anonymously. Like, you don't have to tell them, you know, who you are if you're worried about that. And and even if you do, even if you say, like, here's who I am, they can't, like, force you to do anything. Of course, they're going to encourage you to join, but they can't force it upon you. So it's not, it's nothing to be afraid of. I, I, that, and that's just sort of, that, that was my advice. I know Trevor was thinking the same thing. And then when we emailed Jen and uh, Mr. Whitehair, we, uh, we got the same responses back. So I don't know what you want to add to that. Trevor, if you wanted to kind of go into some of the details from the other emails, but that's pretty much what it boils down to. Yeah. I mean, yeah, what you said, it's a little shady because you don't, you don't really have to wait to hear from SAG for more than maybe like the time it takes for them to put you on hold to transfer you to the right person that can give you the answers that you're looking for. So when the filmmakers are saying they're waiting to hear, that's definitely a red flag. But I, yeah, I mean, I would always, always, always default to just contacting the union and asking for their, um, not, not advice is not the word I'm looking for, but their counsel, really. Because, you know, yes, they're a membership organization, so they have an interest in, in getting you to join the union. But also, their roots are in defending the rights and the fair treatment of actors. That's what they are there for. Um, and my experience with the union every single time has been, let's make sure that actors as a whole, whether you're part of equity, whether you're a part of SAG-AFTRA, whether you're a part of some other thing in some other country, like they just, people want actors to be treated right. They want actors to have rights and they want actors to to have you know a healthy career and journey. And, uh, and the, that's what you're going to get when you call them. So that would be my, um, my, um, advice as well. Just give the union a call if there's any question whatsoever. And, and yeah, if it's anonymous, great. If you need to call out the, the production and the producers and whatnot, they have all that stuff theoretically on file, uh, or they keep records of that kind of thing. So you can always call for status updates and things like that. Um, but if, it, assuming if it's, these people were in contact with the union, right, in the first place. exactly. Assuming that. So if it's, if it's going to be jeopardizing your career in some way or playing a significant role and, you know, making you a must join or this, okay, 30 stuff, like all that, like, it's like my, my, my response is don't dick around with it. Like just call right away. Yeah. Uh, I would love well, to hear how this panned out for Katie because it's been a little while since she sent us this email. Yeah. And I, uh, and I don't think it's going to compromise, you know, her or, what she wants, you know, another thing that Ben did mention in his email was my experience is that the union understands that if you're eligible, that doing some unpaid or low paid web series or, or, you know, um, uh, short film or something isn't going to make, they're not going to, it isn't enough to make someone join. Right. The union. Um, right. they're going to, they're going to wait until it's a higher budget thing, like a TV show or commercial. Exactly. So, yeah. 
Yeah. So you're you, <clears throat> you're probably okay um, if it hasn't panned out. You know, if you haven't gotten this figured out, Katie, you're probably okay. If you have gotten it figured out, yeah, I'm with Trev. Like, let us know what happened. Yeah. Cool. Well, Katie, we hope that's uh, supportive and empowering response. Please let us know and let our listeners know, uh, you know, how this panned out. Anything that you've learned as a result of this sort of mini journey. And um, we hope to hear from you soon. That said, man, oh man, let's jump into our first interview with uh, Jenna Fisher. I said first interview, first part. And guys, this is the very first four part interview series uh, of the podcast. There was so much good information from Jenna. We talked to her for a good solid two hours and we wanted to go longer, but she had to go grab her kids from school. And of course we had to get going, but uh, there's always a possibility that we can continue the conversation at a future date. But, uh, it doesn't matter because we got four of these coming your way starting right freaking now. So settle down with a pen and paper. Enjoy this and we will catch you on the other side. Welcome to uh, part one of our chat with Jenna Fisher, who you probably know as Pam on The Office. I think that's what you're kind of best known for, although you've got other work, obviously, as well, uh, that we're excited to chat about. You produce, you self-produce, you write, um, and you've got a fun story, I think, your transition into this career. Uh, I just, like I was saying earlier, I did a little bit of research and I saw some really fun quotes on IMDb about... (laughs) Like you being a telephone psychic. I mean, maybe you can clarify this for us. I don't know. Everything's true on the internet, right? Um, but uh, so, so I'm excited to hear about your journey. And thank you for having us in your in your home and for chatting with us. Thank you guys for coming out this way. Let's start at the beginning, as we usually do, because um, it's always interesting to hear kind of what uh, compels a person to choose this as a career and a lifestyle. I mean, obviously, there's this inner creative thing that can't be ignored but then there's also all these practicalities and so it's always interesting to see like what were the first seeds that you noticed in you and when you know as a, as a kid did you have a an inkling that this is what you wanted to do or how, how did you get into this where do where would you grow up the whole shebang all right well i grew up in st louis missouri i was born in fort wayne indiana but we moved away when i was about two and i grew up was raised in st louis missouri my mom's a school teacher my dad's a plastics engineer Uh, We have no ties to show business. Uh, But my mom loved doing plays at our church. And I loved helping my mom learn her lines. And then I loved getting to go up and like sit and watch her rehearse and watch dress rehearsal. I just, I loved watching her on stage. And I think that was sort of my first like contact with acting and the theatricality of acting, and I loved it. And I even remember one play, there was a scene that had to happen in a bathroom, it was like a comedy, and they brought like a toilet on to, like they built like Like a little bath 
bathroom and I was a little kid and I just like couldn't believe that there was a real toilet on the stage. In church. It, yeah, exactly. And they Somebody were like, put a toilet in church? What's exactly. happening? They were like pretending to use it. Wow, that's a whole other yeah. <laughs> weird image. But it was just a really, I think that those, that was the thing that sort of got me excited. I mean, I loved running lines with my mom and she used to um, have us read lines on a tape recorder and then she would listen to them hmm. like around the house while she was co- like while she was cooking and um so so there was that but then i just loved being in the school plays and um i loved getting to do anything on stage um and and i wasn't a particularly outgoing kid i was pretty shy actually and i've always been pretty shy um kind of nervous socially that kind of thing and so um a lot of times I maybe wanted to participate in theater stuff, but I was too shy to speak up. So I was in a lot of dance choruses. Um, I didn't have maybe the confidence to go after those lead roles. So I wasn't that kid in school who was, you know, starring in all her plays or anything, but I was always in the theater group. And I mean, I just loved the part of school plays where you stayed after school and built the set and, Every, and you sang songs together. Like the whole community, the whole theater community just was where I felt the most like me, where I felt the most comfortable. And so that's when I told my mom I wanted to be an actress when I grew up. And my parents were very supportive. Their one condition was that I had to go to college and get a college degree in anything. They didn't care what it was. and. I think that the reason they wanted me to get a college degree was less about like quote unquote having something to fall back on, but I think that did make them feel good. Um, Instead, they felt like those years of college are a really important time developmentally for a person. There's a lot of risks you take, there's a lot of things you do socially that you just shouldn't be doing in Hollywood. You should be doing them somewhere Mm -hmm. safer and more... Um, you know, I don't know, private. So I think we've all seen the teenage actors who have grown up in Hollywood and it doesn't very often go well for them. So I'm glad my parents made me go to college and sort of do all that growing in a small college town in Missouri. This this actually brings up an interesting point because we've had this conversation a few times on the show uh, and some we've heard conflicting advice from different guests and I'm curious what your take is. We've heard if you're young, beautiful, talented, or reasonably talented at least, <laughs> don't waste your time in college. Come straight out to LA because it's an industry that's built on capitalizing on youth and beauty. Um, but then there's the other side of the thing, like, and I'm with you on that, where it's mm-hmm. like there is such a developmental thing that can only happen in college. Mm-hmm. And I like the way that, that you put it, um, Jana, too, because it's not necessarily – I think you're, I think what you're saying is, is um, interesting, Trev, but it's not necessarily about the college experience. It's just about what happens during those formative years. So if you were you know, to um, put yourself through um, – Who's uh, Chris Golubo? Is he the one that talks about like putting yourself through grad school, right? And yeah. part of it's like just going traveling, right, in yeah. Europe for a while or whatever. I think sometimes you have to look at the individual. So for me, I shouldn't. First of all, I skipped a grade when I was young, so I graduated high school when I was 17 years old. I definitely shouldn't 
move to Hollywood at 17 years old. I, you know, I think that college is a great place to learn how to do things like cook spaghetti, live on your own, uh, decide if you want to drink or not drink, see what it feels like to party all night and have to take a test the next day. I mean, these are just like, it's, it's baby steps into adulthood. And there is such value in being a mature adult when you come to the shitstorm that is Hollywood. And there is a level of maturity that is required, I think. And artists are sensitive, delicate people. And I think that the more life skills you have, the better you're going to be able to endure this town um, or this business. And so for me, those college years were vital. Also, I went to a school where there was a theater program and I was a theater major, but there was no film and television department. Um, there, there weren't, it, it was a small school. And my group of like sort of my class, there were a bunch of us who wanted to do like film and television. So we rented a camera. We started making our own spoof of the local police station. I went to a place called Kirksville, Missouri. That's where I went to school. And so Kirksville PD, we called it KPD Blues. And it was a spoof of NYPD Blue. And it was also a spoof of Kirksville. And um, we produced it. We wrote it. We shot it. And then we got the campus to put it on the campus television station that had otherwise been used for like, you know, general announcements. That kind of like, that sort of like, I don't know what you call that, chutzpah? I don't know what you call it, right? Like that was so valuable for me to learn. And I was able to do it in like a really safe place with other artists and Los Angeles especially, but New York too, those are very isolating places. I think New York less so, but, um, I just think that learning how to work with other artists, work, I don't know, just make your own work, all of that. I learned all of that in college. Those things are essential to my success, I think. And so I think one of the greatest gifts my parents gave me was that they demanded that I go mm -hmm. to college. And, I, and so I pass on that advice. Now, take for example, a friend of mine, Emily Blunt, amazing actress, is so good I'm pretty sure she did not go to college I think that out of high school I think she went to a year of an acting conservatory and landed in a play with this I can't remember who now but like this big British actress and she got great reviews and an agent spotted her and she was off and running this this woman has had no problem <laughs> adapting to life in Hollywood uh, socially emotionally uh, professionally um I wouldn't have been able to handle that kind of success at a young age. And I, I tend to think that, that she's the exception. And I think most people shouldn't be per pursuing a career. I, I think most people are probably not emotionally prepared or developed hmm. between the ages of 17 and 21. Hmm. You know, I yeah. think you need to use that time to grow. And my other feeling about that too is that when you're an actor, your job is to relate human experiences, be people. Um, if you haven't been a person, how do you do that? If you haven't like struggled, if you haven't um, been in love, been out of love, had your heart broken, uh, been confused, like 
if you aren't living life, how, how, how do you get into your characters' lives? And so again, I think that I'm constantly drawing on that time uh, in characters, even characters who are adults. I'll look back and I'll think, oh, I remember that first night in my first apartment and I was alone and I called my mom. You know, and, and then you just kind of go from there. But anyway, right. if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah totally, absolutely. totally. Um, and I love that. It's, that's, I think, a very mutual feeling as far as our podcast goes. Yeah. Um, so you, you, you were in the practice of creating your own content in Kirksville, mm-hmm. um, which is amazing. I love KPD. <laughs> yeah, KPD. I don't want to watch it. You guys should uh, I know. Is it on YouTube? Put it on, oh, put no. it on mine. I wish that I, you know, my friend Brian, he lives in Minneapolis now. He's a, like a television producer in Minneapolis. He probably is the one who has all the VHS tapes. VHS tapes. Yeah, of course. You know, I don't know if you've ever edited VHS to VHS, but we did. Um, I think he's got all of them. Brian, awesome. if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when did you enter the shitstorm? I mean, what, what, what was the? I, I'm not only curious about you know when the conversion conversion. Listen to me, like it's a wow, <laughs> like it's a religion. Uh, when the transition occurred. Well, I always knew, like from the time I started college, I told people I was moving to LA when I graduated. Okay. For me, I really wanted to do film and television. My ultimate goal was that I wanted to be on an ensemble comedy television show like Cheers, because that was like my Mission favorite show. Yeah, yeah right? I know, Mission like pretty well, crazy. Well done. well done, all right. We're done here, we can, we can all go home. Well, it's funny actually, at like our celebration dinner after we shot the pilot of The Office at my producer's house, he had us all over for dinner, and we were saying nice things, and I said, Greg, you know, my goal when I came to Los Angeles was to be in a comedy ensemble comedy television show like Cheers, and I've done it, and I don't have any goals now. <laughs> like, and I, it's all your I fault. didn't expect to reach my goal, and like I, I mean, I thought I was just like aiming so high, and so like, what do you do then when uh, you don't when you reach it? It's sort of crazy. That's actually one of my questions later. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Okay. So your question was, so I wanted to moved to LA from the time I started college and um, that was a goal and I remember I think I was like a junior in college and my parents paid for me to come out to LA one summer and um, I took like this week-long workshop where I stayed in the dorms UCLA and uh, there was a program where they took us around we saw a live taping of a show Uh, we went to the LA Times like it was like a media thing so it included like journalism and then also uh, film and television. We went to Universal Studios, took the Backlot tour, and then we heard an actor speak. It was this actor from that show, Head of the Class, and he gave a talk about what it was like to be an actor in LA. And this just strengthened my desire to Mm. move to LA. Um, But also, I was intimidated by New York. I'd never been to New York at this point in my life. I didn't go to New York until I was 26 years old. And Uh, the first time I was in New York City and I was walking down the street, uh, I was with a boyfriend at the time and I made him hold my hand really tight because I felt like I was going to be swallowed up by the people. And I'm not like a person who's afraid of crowds or anything, but the energy of that city was so overwhelming to me. It's a crazy city. So now I love New York. I go to New York all the time. I've worked in New York. I'd love to live in New York. But um, when it came time to make the decision of where do I move to be an actor, New York scared me too much. 
So that was maybe a little bit of a fear-based decision. But also, I think on a practical level, if you want to be a film and television actor, you need to move to me to move to Los Angeles. Um, and I think that theater, theater and television is really prevalent in New York, and they do a lot of movies there too. But um, and I'd be interested to hear how more of your New York experience is going, yeah. because um, I feel like Los Angeles and New York are the two cities that do not put a ceiling on where you can go. So, like, if you want to be an actor, my advice is you need to move to one of those two cities. Mm-hmm. And um, I, there's a, but this is there's a lot of arguments for all the work that's being done in Atlanta or being done, particularly no, Atlanta, yeah, New Orleans, and, New Orleans and um, you New know, Mexico. when when I was starting out, it was Chicago. So a lot of people yeah. moved to Chicago. Um, I think the problem with that is those cities are always changing. It's like it's like a moving target. So like. Atlanta will be hot for 10 years and then it'll be Detroit and then it'll be Chicago and then it'll be so it's like are you, what are you going to do when they stop making all the movies in Atlanta like do you move yeah. to then where do you move why do you think that is just a, a quick sidebar I think it's tax laws so it's mm. a lot about tax incentives so for a while there were huge tax incentives to shoot in Detroit so tons of things were shooting in Detroit and then a few years ago they changed it and now only five films a year get tax breaks in Detroit oh wow so yeah I think that right now you know Atlanta yeah mm-hmm. New Orleans Vancouver's right blown up yeah a lot of places yeah. in Canada as well yeah, yeah. I mean it, it actually like um I I haven't done a job that actually shoots in Los Angeles since the <laughs> office. <so. laughs> really? Not not wow. one? No. But I also oh haven't gosh. worked much since the office because I have two very little kids and I'm taking time off to be a mom. But even yeah. still, the work that I've been offered or the work I have done has been out of LA. Wow. Kind of crazy enough. So what was that? So you knew since your first year uh, in, yes. in school that you wanted to move to LA. So mm-hmm. when you graduated... Was it like, did you turn right around and shoot out here? or No, I moved in with my parents back in St. Louis, and I got a full-time oh. job as a secretary for one year. And I gave myself a time limit or a money limit. I said, after one year or $10,000, I'm moving to L.A. So May, I think it was, uh, yeah, May of 96, I was either, I was going to move to LA, no matter how much money I had saved, or as soon as I hit $10,000 savings. So when May of 1996 rolled around, I had $8,000. Almost. Almost, (laughs) Almost. I did pretty good. Right there. Let me just say that moving in with your parents for a year after college, that was the hardest year of all of our lives, okay? (laughs) That did not go down super great for me or my parents' relationship, but we all got through it, and it was one of the greatest gifts they could give me, Hmm. that I didn't have to pay rent, I was able to pay down my credit cards that I had, you know, your first credit card in college. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, a little crazy. So I was able to move to Los Angeles without any debt and $8,000 in my pocket, and that was a huge advantage. And I had a friend who I had gone to college with who was in my theater program. It was a guy, Brian, who I had done KPD Blues with. And he was already living out here, and he had been like living on our other friend's couch. So when I said I was moving out, he said, let's get a place together. So he found us an apartment, he rented it, and so I drove my car out here, 
uh, across the country with my cat and my boyfriend at the time drove me out here and we got this apartment and I lived in it and it, it was a horrible apartment. It was, the, <laughs> of course it it was. was a really depressing yeah. apartment. What part of town was it in? It was in West Hollywood. It was in a great part of town. It was right at Santa Monica and Genesee, oh, which yeah, is yeah. very close to Santa Monica that's and where, Fairfax. Yeah, that is a nice area. I think it, um, Sam French is over there. Oh no, that's, um, there's that's a, there's Sunset. Whole Foods right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now there's a Whole Foods. <laughs> <laughs> Before it was like a, yeah. she's like, hang on. A rundown Rite Aid or something. My backyard this is pre-gentrification Trevor that's right my backyard was in back of the pleasure chest which is still there it's the most famous sex toy shop in West Hollywood um, there is a gay porn movie theater across the street from the pleasure chest which is a funny story because when my parents finally came to see where I was living oh. we were walking around the neighborhood and my mom goes oh Jenna you've got a little theater walking distance from your apartment do you ever see movies there and I was like mom why don't you walk over and see what's showing check out yeah what's playing this afternoon and she came back she goes oh Jenna it was so funny but it was Can a we great... get your parents on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> they they sound fantastic. Horrifying. I cannot believe that they didn't like kidnap me and bring me back to Missouri when they right. saw this apartment. Um, I had a cat at the time, and my cat licked out patches of his fur because oh, I think God. this apartment was so depressing. But it was very, it was a big apartment, and it was cheap, and it was safe. Like there was a laundry mat within walking distance, and you could like drop off your laundry and then walk home while it you know while your laundry was being done which was amazing and my parents did feel good that I was living with this guy that I was living with Brian this like friend of many years that they knew so I think that made them feel good too cool yeah yeah so so you moved out you were living in this place yeah obviously you had a little bit of cushion and your parents were supportive which is wonderful because that's like one two three awesome like legs up to really set yourself up uh but Obviously, at some point, you had to start looking for work. You had to do the agent search. Like, yeah. what was what were those first years like? Because that's usually like where people either make it or they just give up and go home. Yes, yes, it, it's true. It's true. I think people mentally give themselves like a year to succeed, yeah. or maybe two. But in my experience, of the people that I came out with, they either started working within a year or two, or they left, and yeah. then there was me who was both not working and not leaving. <laughs> uh, who had some delusional fortitude to keep going. Um, yeah, so, well, I'll say that I know that there are three things that are 100% luck-based that contributed to my success. One is my parents' emotional support and enthusiasm for me being an actor, even though they knew nothing about the business. They just wanted me to be happy, and they just believed that you should pursue what you love in life and that you can make it your job somehow. Um, I'm really lucky that I had that. I'm lucky that my parents paid for my college, that I didn't have student loan debt. That is crushing for people today, especially aspiring actors. This just crushing student loan debt, it's just like a noose around your neck and I feel so bad for people. And the third was that I came out to LA with this uh, little bit of savings. But let me say, I spent my savings within like six months because I came here and I was very arrogant, which I didn't know it as arrogance at the time, but I think I saw it as confidence. 
But it was arrogance because I was like, I'm a trained actor, I have a degree, I have my savings, um, I don't need classes, I don't need to join anything, I'm just going to get some auditions and become an actor. You right? just described my mindset to a T when I first moved out here. Really? Yeah. That's exactly what I, yeah. I almost had the so, same amount in savings. I had the same mind. It was exactly what I was thinking of myself. You know what's funny too is I was just about to say like, okay, Jen, I get in line. Like, <laughs> you and everybody else that just got off the bus from Missouri. That's exactly right. Like I was like somehow thought I was different than everyone else. I just sat on my couch watching Law and Order. Research. Yeah, right, right, right. Oh, my favorite thing. Yes, yes. Tons of, I just see a it's lot Netflix of movies. Today. Yeah, yeah, watch lots of films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, that was the biggest mistake that I made when I came out here was that I didn't join something right away and that I didn't get a job right away. Because the the part in the life of a working actor, the part that no one really prepares you for, is that time when you actually are SAG, you have an agent, you're getting a ton of auditions, and holding down a day job is incredibly difficult. Very hard. That is when you need $8,000 in savings, okay? That's when you need the nest egg. Not when you first move here, because when you first move or you first decide to be an actor, nothing is going to happen to you for a really long time. (laughs) So don't spend your money. Go get a job. You have plenty of time to have a job. So have your job and join something. Join a theater company. Take an improv class. I don't care if you've taken a million improv classes. Take another one. Now, some of that stuff costs money, but some of it doesn't. You know, like find ways to be a joiner. Even if it means like you're volunteering to be a theater usher in New York, or if you are volunteering to be a PA on somebody's short film, be around people who are doing stuff all the time. That is like how momentum is created and that's how you're gonna get somewhere. And when I figured that out, things started happening for me. But that took me like three years. Three long years of me spending a lot of time trying to get an agent trying to get auditions, um, getting my headshots taken. I think the biggest mistake you can make when you start being an actor is thinking that the first thing you should do is get an agent. Hmm. I think it is not the first thing you should do. That's my opinion. The first thing you need to do is get ready for an agent. And the way you get ready for an agent is get yourself in the union, build a body of work, and I guess probably get really good headshots, you know, or not even, I mean, like your age, your new age is just going to tell you to get new headshots anyway. <laughs> it's like their favorite thing to say, Yeah. you know, <clears throat> why am I not getting in on any auditions? Well, you need new headshots. Oh, okay. <laughs> Goodbye. $700. Right. It's so good. It's so good. And it's so funny because this is like just the tip of the iceberg like you know we're all you know i mean and you can tell like how um how affable and personable and just lovely you know she was um there's a couple of uh, moments uh jasmine was with us so if you heard another female voice laughing in the background (laughs) that was actually her because we were just having such a good time that uh you know we we there was a lot of uh, laughs to be had and and she was so sweet she like gave us like a tour of 
of her backyard where they're like growing fruit and stuff. And off the record, she said something to, to me that I, I, I really appreciated, or not to me, but to us, that I really appreciated, which was um, we're living the dream and I, and I, I, I understand that or something like that. Yeah, she like, said, like, don't think I don't know it and I'm not like grateful for it every day. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And it was so, ah, it was so amazing, like so beautiful, like that that she's in touch with that and, and understands and, and gets it that, you know, it's, it doesn't matter where you are, like coming from gratitude is, is so important. And it was mm. ah, so refreshing and we're yeah. so excited to be able to bring this to our listeners. And it, it really has reinforced my experience, I mean, just it's like 100% of the time now, I, I meet somebody who's enjoyed a lot of success in their career and their life, and they are always, without fail, oh, grace, gracious, humble, like wonderful, warm, generous people. Like you don't get to the top by being a jerk. You don't claw your way to the top by by stepping on the faces of of the people that are you know alongside you. Like that that's not the way it works. It's really not. And I think that's a myth that that you know sometimes our media sort of perpetuates that you've got to like be really competitive and and I I don't think that's the way it works, man. Like you get there by really by helping other people by by being warm and generous and and uh, Jenna embodies that like amazingly it was just so wonderful to, to sit down with her and this is just the first part guys we got three more three more they're Come getting ready because they're coming <laughs> ready <laughs> all right so let's talk about uh picks of the week shall we let's what's your pick my friend my, my friend. pick is a book an, a classic book an old book written in like the 30s uh it's a book called the richest man in babylon it's a classic personal finance book and it's written in almost like biblical ye old English type writing. And it's essentially a collection of stories or fables uh, about uh, these Babylonians. And, and Babylon was sort of famed to be one of the most uh, opulent or, or well-to-do cultures uh, in the ancient world. Anyway, it's, it's a personal finance book. It's just timeless principles about what to do with your money, how to handle it, um, how to, you know, really set yourself up to win and safeguard yourself against, um, you know, difficult, you know, times like when your car breaks down or you do need $700 headshots all of a sudden or, you know, whatever it is. And uh, what I really appreciate about this book is that it's half of it is like, here's what you do percentage wise with your income. And the other half of it is like, here's the mindset that you need. And it's so, so much of it lines up with so much of the things we've been talking about for years on this show. Uh, and I don't want to kind of spoil it or talk any more about it, but uh, I do believe that, you know, in every person's personal success library, and I'm a big fan of, of building, a, you know, a, a library of, of books that you can refer to over and over again throughout the years. I think this is one that is worth investing in, purchasing and keeping on your shelf alongside, uh, you know, the others. So that is The Richest Man in Babylon by a guy named George S. Clason, Clason, C-L-A-S-O-N. I don't know how to pronounce it, but that's his Clausen. name. Clausen. Clausen. <laughs> uh, yeah, great book. Highly recommend. And you? Lovely. Um, well, I've been trying to figure out, so uh, I mentioned this on the, on the podcast just briefly, but Jasmine and I are uh, becoming well, we are committed to becoming not only a one-car household, but a uh, a bike commuting household. Something that I never thought that I would do. Going all the way back to episode six, as in mm-hmm. 
a single digit six <laughs> uh, when we interviewed NC and like you know it legitimately terrified me to think of commuting around Los Angeles on a bike. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna do it. And so I was trying to figure out like, well, what would my pick of the week be? So I've been doing a ton of research, reading tons of blogs. There's so much good information out there uh, about it, especially for areas like ours where it's not necessarily conducive to bike commuting. And I ended up finding this great app. And part of the reason I chose it is because I knew the name would just piss you off, Trev. Um, but it's called Kamut, which I think is like you know a startup. A Dutch startup version of the word commute. Okay. Why would that piss me off? <laughs> because you know what we're talking about? Like ship, S-H-Y-P, and like S-Y-F-T. We're talking about like the startup companies that just like make a weird spelling of a right. word in order to name their company. I, I figured this was like the Dutch or German version of the word, but... I, somehow I think it's yeah. not just that it's in Dutch. Yeah. I, think it's just, I think it's also like they were trying to be clever. Uh, so it's Kamut. <laughs> K-O-M-O-O-T. Um, At least which, I didn't put an R in there somewhere. Like, that seems to be a, a thing, you know? Flicker. Commuter. Tumblr. Anyway. Commuter. Commuter. That, that would piss me off. <laughs> anyway, uh, this, this looks cool. I'm on the website right now. It looks great. It looks, it looks like it's more for, like, joyrides than it is actual commutes. Am I wrong about that? Here's what I like about it, okay? So <clears throat> Google Maps actually had, they recently added bike commuting to their Google Maps service. However, they haven't got it completely down yet. Um, and what I mean by that is like, if you're on a bike, you don't necessarily want to be on like the main roads unless there's a bike lane. And so what Google Maps will do is the same thing that they would do for walking or biking pretty much with like a couple of exceptions if there happens to be a bike lane. And they will send you on what is the shortest, what they believe is to be the shortest, fastest route. And so I've noticed that when I use the Google Maps biking, uh, the, the, the bike commuting on Google Maps, the new bike commuting uh, feature on Google Maps, it will send you down like the craziest streets. And I'm like, I'm not going to ride my bike on those streets. That's terrifying. I'm not taking the 405. <laughs> like, what? Oh, yeah, what? this is having me go on the freeway. What is wrong with these people? So until they get that figured out what i was looking for is a is a is a is a gps application specifically for biking hmm. and Kamut does both biking and hiking and a few other you know outdoor activities which is awesome so you can use it for those things as well um check it out download it for your smartphone they also have a website um but what i like about it is when i was putting in turn by turn directions like this is where i want to go and this is from where i want to go that you know i want to go from work or i want to go to work from home it it gives you turn-by-turn directions, turn-by-turn style directions, the way that you would get in a GPS, but it takes into consideration the fact that you're on a damn bike. So it's not... <laughs> you're on a taking, damn bike. You're on a damn bike. <laughs> so it's not always taking you on the main roads. You know, That's great, man. Yeah. Side streets, and, and, then, and then it also gives you like a report on like if there's elevation changes, yeah. how long the estimated time it's going to take you to get there, um, which Google Maps does do. Uh, but it, but it also shows you elevation changes, and then it gives you like a um, like a summary of how challenging the ride is. So it'll say like this is this ride is you know uh, easy. This ride is moderate. This ride is great for somebody who's in you know uh, good shape. This is this is going to be a challenge for some people. This you know, and so <clears throat> it it it's really 
uh, setting me up to win in terms of getting from you know point A to point B, which a lot of the other apps um, were not. Cool. So that's the richest man in Babylon and Kamut. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, just vote to sort of take the listener pick of the week we have slated for this and, and push it to the next episode because we are super tight on time. Sounds good, brah. Um, but wow, what a what an action packed episode. <laughs> Action-packed, jam-packed <laughs> with all your best stuff. Yes, indeed. We have uh, uh, several new um, members who have jumped on board. We'll, we'll list them by name in the next episode, but we want to thank you guys uh, for joining the family and let us let you know that we have gotten your uh, requests for the books, and we are getting them in the mail to you shortly. And that about does it for episode 213. Today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by yours truly, AJ Meyer, and of course, this guy, Trevor Algat. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadali Gubarek is our marketing and web director. Jasmine Bristow is our director of public relations. And Deborah Smith, who's getting married soon, is our community manager. Trevor Algat edited and mixed today's episode and composed our theme and interview music. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch, which is uh, sort of run by uh, Jasmine Bristow, and she does a wonderful <laughs> job. So if you're not getting that, please, please sign up to get that. It's it's really fun and really cool, and she's great about just dropping lots of knowledge bombs and wisdom in there. Uh, you can sign up for that and listen to all of our recent episodes over at our website, InsideActing.net, and you can also find us on iTunes, and your reviews there are hugely appreciated, and uh, we've said it before, we'll say it again. If you love the show and you want to leave us a five-star review, that is awesome. If you hate the show and you want to leave us a one-star review, of course, you are entitled to that <laughs> but um we would really appreciate it if you just shoot us a note personally and, and tell us you know what you don't like and maybe give us an opportunity to earn a five-star review from you that'd be kind of cool so don't forget to uh earn find us on, yeah don't forget to find us on itunes and uh and offer us some feedback there special thanks to our sponsors rehearsal pro and biotagogo.com and thanks to you our loyal listeners If you love Inside Acting and want to maximize its value in your life and career, sign up as a monthly member and get cool perks like access to our member message board, cool freebies, including um, these books that we've been talking about. You get a free book right now for signing up, thanks to uh, uh, our guest, Steve Rohr. Uh, Invites to exclusive member meetups, discounts on merchandise, and much, much more. Just visit InsideActing.net and click on the membership tab. And that does it for episode 213 of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, what? Throw up on some paper? Is that what you wrote in there? I was going to say be a joiner. I was all like throw Sorry, up on you, some paper. You say what you... <laughs> You say what you want. You say what you want to say, but earlier when we were talking about NaNoWriMo, you said throw up on some paper and it made me laugh, so I wrote it. Oh, it's all good. Wow. Okay, we'll be a joiner and throw up on some paper. <laughs>